Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. This is the Tom Hartman Program. This is the Tom Hartman Program, and I am Jeff Smith, and you are you, and today is Walk and Chew Gum Day. We can do those things at the same time. There is a significant national discussion going around the depth of corruption of this White House, the degree to which the Mueller investigation covered elements of that corruption, the degree to which Bill Barr exposed or covered up elements of that corruption or exonerate or didn't exonerate that corruption. And that is an important discussion and how we should be feeling about the regulations with respect to the uh, special counsel rules and what should happen now, what should Jerry Nadler do? People still want to talk about how the legal process should weigh in on this president with respect to his real estate dealings, his tax dealings, as far as I know, he still hasn't released his tax returns. How it should deal with campaign finance violation accusations and evidence. And then there's the other truth. And the other truth is that ultimately prosecution is not the way we should pick a president or it shouldn't usually be the way we get rid of one. We should try to make our decisions with democracy. History gives us some lessons that, heck, the impeachment of Bill Clinton, the efforts at removing Bill Clinton did not keep Democrats from winning congressional seats and did not keep Bill Clinton from being a two-term president. The arrest of the Watergate burglars happened six weeks prior, six weeks prior to Richard Nixon not only winning re-election, but with a historically large margin over George McGovern. That ultimately the argument that has to be won is how can the country be made better? How are the lives of the American people being made better? How is democracy made better? And we've got to not only chew the gum of the corruption of the White House, but also walk in the direction of American lives. And that's why it's walk and chew gum day. So we're taking your calls. Are you a gum chewer? Are you a walker? Or are you both? Let's listen to Sam from Asheville, North Carolina. How you doing, Sam? Oh, I'm doing okay. It's walk and chew gum day, so I've got a different story here. All right. Congressman Mo Brooks of Alabama 
quoted Mein Kampf on the floor of the House yesterday. He was talking about the big lie that the Democrats were talking about. He said, I quote from another socialist who mastered big lie propaganda to a maximum and deadly effect. And then he quoted from a section of Mein Kampf, which he just kind of forgot to mention was written by Adolf Hitler about Jews. They're going completely nuts over calling us Nazis. It is. They're telling the big lies. And right now, the mainstream media is not calling them on it. The very first time that I subbed for Tom for an extended period was, that was an opening question. The, the question of the day was, what's the big lie? And how do we make sure, and we were even talking about the most stuff, like what are the, well, we're getting distracted by weird tweets and weird stuff that happens every day, and we're, and how do we avoid being the cat following the laser beam, and how do we address the big lie? As you see the narrative that is being crafted by, you know, folks like Dinesh D'Souza, et cetera, that trying to flip the argument that's saying that the effort against white supremacy, that the effort against fascism is somehow an effort against the opposite of that, I don't understand. I mean, it's, and I don't really want to, maybe at some point I will, I don't at this point want to repeat their argument exactly, in part because it's so tilted, but I hear you loud and clear, and it um, does concern me, the quoting of Hitler for any purpose in the House I, chamber. I need to add one thing. Go ahead. Sanders, uh, Huckleberry Sanders, that's what I call her, said that the news stories about the Russian collusion yeah. is treason and is, quote, punishable by death in this country. They are going full-blown Nazi propaganda. They are trying to set up, it seems to me, a dictatorship in America. So, Sam, thank you so much for your call. And if folks want to, if the Daesh D'Souza's of the world want to challenge fascism, then promote democracy. If you want to make it clear that you are not pushing for authoritarian rule, push majoritarian rule. Make sure that how a president is elected ensures that the president is chosen by a majority of the people. Make sure that people can vote and their votes aren't suppressed. Make sure the votes are counted and preferably with a paper record so that they can be. Make sure that campaign contributions are done in some roughly legitimate way rather than secretly and in unlimited ways so the elections are purchased. If you want to make it clear that you aren't on the side of fascism, if you want to make it clear that you aren't on the side of white supremacy, support voting rights. Support democracy. And do that not only in, I don't know, some weird movie or some odd talking points or some weird speech in the House floor. Do that in policy. Do that in your platform. Do that in your proposals. Do that in real ways. Support democracy. Because there have been times in this country where we had the bulk of both major parties in this country were firmly on the side of democracy. That was absolutely true after World War II. That didn't mean there weren't villains in both parties, but there was a rough national consensus. They were in this together, that some level we were stronger together than we were our part, that from Eisenhower to even many of the policies signed by Richard Nixon during that era, there was a consensus that we had to figure things out together and that democracy was something we were supposed to work on together. If you want to make it clear that you are not on the side of fascists, be on the side of democracy and support democracy. And let's get that 
by, we, we can argue about any number of things, but let's work towards, again, a bipartisan consensus around the mechanisms by which we govern ourselves, that we are stronger together than we are apart, and in fact, democracy is the thing we should fight for, not fight against. According to this headline in the New Republic, column, article, piece of writing offered by Marcy Wheeler, it says, yes, Trump obstructed justice and William Barr is helping him to cover it up, end quote. We have Marcy Wheeler on the air right now. Marcy, hello. Hi, thanks for having me. I don't know if you were involved in the headline writing. The headline makes a bold claim. Say more. Well, I didn't do the headline, but I'll back the headline. So what we know is that Mueller turned over his report to Attorney General Barr Friday afternoon. We got a memo from Barr saying Mueller did not come to a conclusion about whether or not Trump obstructed justice or not. He specifically said it's not an exoneration. And without explaining why he did so, Barr said, well, I sat down with Rod Rosenstein and we decided that there's not obstruction of justice. And important to that was his portrayal of what Mueller investigated. And Rosenstein was involved, so maybe this is accurate, but it's not entirely clear given what Mueller has shown thus far in his investigation. Because the memo only addresses whether the Trump campaign conspired with the Russian government to basically hack and leak uh, Hillary's emails or to do the trolling stuff. But the important thing is the hack and leak. It doesn't address, for example, whether the Trump campaign conspired with Russians to do so. It doesn't address whether the Trump campaign conspired with WikiLeaks to do so. And we know that Roger Stone is headed to trial on covering up that he did so. And that's important because in finding that Trump did not obstruct justice, Barr said, well, there was no underlying crime to obstruct. So therefore, he couldn't have obstructed justice, clean bill of health. And not only does that not make sense, does that not reflect the public record, but it also conflicts with what Barr said three times in his confirmation hearing under sworn testimony. You added something to, and I will offer it now as well, and this will probably be the last time. No, it won't be the last time this week. I would have welcomed this back in the day if we were going to do a, a moot court on this argument. I would have welcomed this as the opening salvo argument because to me the pivot would have been much more powerful than the assertion. And his assertion, as you well stated, was, well, there's no attempt to try to block justice because there was no justice to block. There was no underlying crime. My argument has been, well, actually, the converse could be true. Maybe the reason there was no chargeable conspiracy was because of obstruction of justice. You make right. another one. Well, maybe there was a different crime. Maybe, yeah, this quoted piece did not establish that members of the Trump campaign conspired or coordinated with the Russian government in its election interference activities, end quote. Maybe the thing that happens before that capitalized T was, well, any number of crimes could have been committed. Any kind of misconduct could have happened. Any things could have been happened by other people other than members of the Russian government or the Trump campaign that were still allied with Trump. You make a powerful point, Marcy. Well, and we actually, and I point this out in my piece, we have at least one moment where we know for a fact that Trump's floating of pardons affected Mueller's ability to get to the underlying issue. 
And that's with Paul Manafort. So Paul Manafort supposedly cooperated with Mueller last September rather than going to trial. And in the process, he lied. He lied about a number of things. But one thing in particular that he lied about was a meeting on August 2nd, 2016, that he had with Konstantin Kolimnik, where he gave Kolimnik polling data, recent detailed polling data from the Trump campaign. In the same conversation, the same meeting, they discussed a quote-unquote peace plan for Ukraine, which basically amounted to Russia getting everything it wanted, and also sanctions relief. And that's important. So he lied about it. And as they were litigating whether or not the lie was sufficiently important so as to find him in breach of his plea agreement, um, Andrew Weissman said quite clearly, the reason that he believes Manafort lied on this point in particular is because he needed to do so in hopes of getting a pardon. So Trump floated him a pardon. Manafort refused to tell the truth about a key issue on whether he gave that polling data to Russia to help them help Trump win the election. And as a result, Mueller did not come to a conclusion, did not find evidence of whether or not the Trump campaign conspired with the Russian government. And by the way, Kalimnik while he has ties, according to the FBI, to Russian intelligence, he's not the Russian government. So even there, the exonerations don't address this, this ongoing relationship with Constantine Kalimnik. But that's a case where it's crystal clear that Trump's obstruction prevented Mueller from reaching the case. So there was evidence of a crime that Trump floated a pardon after the floating of that pardon. The question is because whether it's because of, but after the floating of that pardon, post hoc does not necessarily ergo proctor hoc. Right. After, the, uh, after the floating of the pardon, Manafort lies, and that prohibits, that prevents, that blocks an indictment on that charge. And you think that instance itself could have been sufficient to bring an obstruction charge? And I don't know, and I hope Attorney General Barr gets asked about this. I don't know whether he considered that unrelated to the question of conspiring with the Russian government because Mueller didn't reach that issue or because Konstantin Kolimnik himself is not a member of the Russian government. Same thing with Natalia Veselinskaya. She's not Russian government, but she clearly is somebody who was working with the Russian government at the time on a different legal case. So... If the standard that Barr used to find a crime is whether Trump conspired with the Russian government, as opposed to Natalia Vesemovskaya, as opposed to Konstantin Kalimnik, as opposed to WikiLeaks, then we're not going to get there because there was a cutout at every level of the operation. But we also know that at least in that instance, the Paul Manafort instance, Trump had floated a pardon, Manafort lied, and that lie went to the heart, and, and this, um, the judge in the case, Amy Berman-Jackson, was quite clear on, the, the lie went to the heart of whether or not Mueller could assess, could answer the question, did Trump conspire with the Russians? This may just be a dumb, dumb question, but why do you think, what's most important to you about getting the report itself? Well, I, there are lots of questions about what Barr did, it's not even clear that Mueller asked him to make a determination about whether Trump obstructed justice. Barr himself, in addition to testifying uh, under oath three times that what Trump has, has already been known to do amounts to obstruction of justice, he also has said that if the president obstructs justice, the proper remedy for that 
He doesn't say the proper remedy for that is for the attorney general in 48 hours to review it and give him a clean bill of health. The proper remedy for that is impeachment. The proper remedy for that is to bump it over to the House Judiciary Committee and let them decide. That is the constitutional remedy, and that is what Bill Barr has said specifically in the context of this investigation. But all of a sudden, that statement went out the window over the weekend. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Stealing data from unsuspecting people on public Wi-Fi is one of the simplest ways for hackers to make money. When you leave your internet connection unencrypted, you might as well be writing your passwords and credit card numbers on a huge billboard for the rest of the world to see. That's why I use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN secures and anonymizes your internet browsing by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. Turning on ExpressVPN protection takes only one click. Using ExpressVPN, I can safely surf even on public Wi-Fi without having my personal data stolen. For less than $7 a month, you can get the same ExpressVPN protection that I have. ExpressVPN is rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar and comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com tom. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash T-H-O-M for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash Tom to learn more. I have to say, I'm a little frustrated. I may be more than a little bit frustrated about the media characterization of this. One that I'll give is the CNN uh, CNN headline, which says, Barr colon, Mueller finds no Trump-Russia conspiracy. Forgive the mind-reading question. Why do you think that headline bothers me? Um, go ahead and explain it. Because I mean, well, it goes beyond what the letter says, but it does take some parsing to get to that. Yeah, it does, because even the cherry-picked sentence, the single sentence that does the most work in the whole four pages, it starts with, quote, and then a T that was not capitalized in the original text, yeah, in, in a little right. bracket to make the T capitalized. That's the big question. What's before the T? What's before the T? Because the investigation did not establish, important word establish, uh, that members of the Trump campaign, important word Trump campaign, conspired to coordinate with the Russian government, important word government, in its election interference activities, in its election interference activities. That does not preclude, if that sentence were true, it does not preclude any number of other sentences. It does not preclude a sentence that says the investigation not suggest everything after that. It does not say the investigation not establish that friends of Trump did not do everything that was just said. It does not say that did not establish members of the Trump campaign coordinated with people other than the Russian government, but just Russian other human beings. Or mm -hmm. change that one out, or, or leave all that the same, and establish, keep everything else the same, and instead of election interference activities, include other stuff, policy-making activities. So to lead from that, even just the established word, it does not say we have reviewed this and find no Trump-Russia conspiracy. That was not found. What he found was there was no chargeable crime. I know it might seem a small thing. To me, it seems big. Am I overstating the case? No, no, I think you're stating it quite well. And, and it may well be the case that Barr's memo is a fair representation of what Mueller has done. But as you, I mean, what, what comes before the T, right? It could say, you know, Roger, Roger Stone, Don Jr., both did conspire with Russians, but they're not part of the Trump campaign, and I wasn't ordered to look into the son and the, the lifelong 
political advisor. It may well say we found abundant evidence that the Trump campaign, that Trump engaged in a quid pro quo where they said, thanks for the help, we'll give you policy considerations if and when we win. Um, that would be a conspiracy. It's not covered in the two very narrowly described things that Barr addresses as far as the conspiracy, which amount only to the trolling and to the hack and leak. And the hack and leak is limited just to the Russian government. It doesn't it explicit. I mean, it, it doesn't explicitly say this, but it very much does not include WikiLeaks, for example. What do you think happens now? And what do you sort of hope happens now? Well, I've given up hoping that... He's given up hope I mean, generally, I understand. You know, I would have liked us to get some closure, especially on Russia. Like, twice today, I've had to explain to people that this investigation did not start because of Christopher Steele. This investigation started because a crime was committed. A hostile foreign nation hacked both the Democrats and the Republicans. That's why the FBI started investigating it. They started investigating Trump because a Trump campaign aide found out the Democrats had been hacked before they had. And so, you know, we're not going to get any closure. I do suspect Congress is going to get very involved. I think Barr is going to testify. Mueller sounds like he's going to testify. It sounds like there's abundant, very damning evidence about what Trump did in here. And it sounds like what Mueller set up is a referral to the House Judiciary Committee because they are the one constitutionally empowered to determine whether or not the president broke the law. If you have a memo that says Trump can't be indicted, and DOJ does, then DOJ has absolutely no business weighing in on it. The House Judiciary Committee does. Your view is essentially that Bill Barr is Robert Bork 2.0, that he's the guy that came in who is willing to do the protection of the president. Yeah, and just yesterday I was saying we need to give him the benefit of the doubt. But as I keep saying, he testified under oath three times he was asked, can the president issue pardons to get people not to testify against him? Basically, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. And three times he said that would be a crime. And yet yesterday he decided that's not a crime somehow. And again, it seems like the way he got there was by so narrowly defining the crime that he believed Trump was trying to cover up that he somehow was able to give him this exoneration, which A, it's not his constitutional place to do, and B, he swore under oath three times that what Trump has no is known to have done is a crime. So the only conclusion you can reach is that it was not an honest determination. This gets me to a point that we haven't made yet, and it might be kind of tied for the most important one or most important question. Is it your assertion or your thought that what we know is criminal. There's two ways of critiquing this. I mean, one way of, uh, of responding to this is, ah, well, Bill Barr got it right, and thank goodness our two-year national nightmare is over, and we can continue with the business of cutting taxes for the rich and melting the planet. That's one possible worldview. Another right. is that we didn't know what's in the report because we don't know what happened and what we don't know might have been criminal. What you seem to be suggesting is something different, which is what we know is criminal and what we need to figure out is a process to bring that to justice. Am I, am I interpreting that correctly? Well, even if it isn't criminal, right, and um, it may well be, you and I have talked about the other conspiracies that might come before that scene in that sentence, right? Even if it isn't criminal, the standards by which presidents are judged are according to DOJ, according to DOJ that Bob Barr under oath says he still buys, the sitting president may not be indicted. 
the way to keep a president accountable, and this is for crimes and for abuse of office, is to impeach him. So according to what Bob Barr is on the record saying, the appropriate thing to do is for HJC to determine whether A, a crime has been committed, but B, whether Trump abused office in such a way that he should be impeached. Because impeachment is different than a criminal standard. The, uh, I, right. I just want to say thank you. What's a question I should have asked you that I didn't? What are you, what are you, hoping, what are you hoping that the media is covering better than they have done so far, either in the last two years or the last 24 hours? Five of Trump's close aides were indicted for lying. If you take what they admitted to lying about and you map it out, again, it lays out the other conspiracy you and I are talking about. That has fallen by the wayside. Any discussion of what his age lied to cover up and what any obstruction that Trump himself would be covering up points to a very different conspiracy. And I think we need to be talking about that as well. So be clear about that. Say in clear terms the other conspiracy that you're suggesting is being covered up. At several times during the campaign, Trump's people said to the Russians, um, or Trump's people were in a conversation with the Russians, where the Russians were offering dirt, were offering assistance, and Trump's campaign in response was saying, okay, we'll talk about sanctions relief. And then even before Trump took office, Mike Flynn was talking with the Russians about sanctions relief. So there's very much the look of a quid pro quo where Trump took the help in the campaign, maybe didn't help hack the computer, but took the help and in response tried to give Russia sanctions relief. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the analysis I, that I, I nodded my head at that seemed like the better was not that, yeah, there was some secret, uh, secret meeting, or there may have been, but that we're going to get some tape about, but that the Trump campaign, the Donald Trump, Donald Trump's family, left the door open. They, they, didn't like, they didn't like go and loot the house with friends of Vladimir Putin. They just left the front door open. Having mm-hmm. some understanding that if they left the front door open, someone had to come in and steal the stuff. And they left the front door open because they, they, these were their friends and they were in business together. Thank you also to Marcy Wheeler, whose column in The New Republic titled, Yes, Trump Obstructed Justice and William Barr is Helping Him Cover It Up. Marcy, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate your coverage. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Let's take a quick call from Morris, KPFK. Nobody reads that fast, says Morris from Long Beach. That, that is correct. If, if the brother got the report on Friday, I'm talking about Mr. Barr, and, and of course the library is closed at 5 o'clock, on, at least mine is on Saturday, and they're not open Sundays. But if he got the report on Friday, how is he going to be able to put that thing together enough to surmise, you know, to put together a summary on a Sunday? I mean, come on, let's, let's keep it real. And, 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 and quite frankly, we should remember that, that Mr. Mueller was a Republican appointee, and, and he had a very narrow thing to do, just like, remember, Brett Kavanaugh, they took 24 hours to check him out. He had a very narrow thing to do here, right? It wasn't about justice or integrity. We should remember what Clarence Thomas said. Broken clock would be right twice a day when he was speaking to the Heritage Foundation. He said, we have to remember that we are destroying our institution. And that's exactly what we got going on here. So we'll keep our eye on this. But remember that Barr was uh, also against, he was against this special counsel thing anyway. I agree, more. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today is The End of the Myth, From the Frontier to the Border Wall in the Mind of America by Greg Grandin. 
And this is from chapter one, entitled All That Space. The British colonies in North America were conceived in expansion. America was an aspiration, an errand, and an obligation born out of violent Christian schism in Europe's interminable religious and imperial conflicts. Depending on the intricacies of their particular interpretations of revelation, the Protestants who settled New England might have understood flight across the Atlantic as a way of escaping European war, or they might have seen migration as a chance to open a new front and win those wars on a new soil. Here in the 1600s, in the eschatological nebula of the New World, was the first paradoxical image of America as simultaneously pristine and despoiled, empty and at the same time filled with primitives begging for deliverance, subordinated to Catholic Spain, which had conquered its part of the Americas a century earlier and stood as the great obstacle to Reformation England's rise as a world power. All yell and cry with one voice, Liber Libertia, Libertia, Richard Hackleute, a clergyman and court minister, wrote in the late 1500s, hoping to convince investors and his queen to establish an American colony. As Puritan society frayed under the harsh conditions of settler life, the frontier threatened and beckoned. The dark woods were filled with witches, and they were witchy, inviting hither. The forest was the place where the community could be redeemed and given new purpose, a chance to once again start anew, or it could be a place of more sorrows, wilderness sorrows, as two early Puritan patriarchs described the hardships that awaited those who ventured into uncharted territory, where whatever solidarity existed would be smashed into atoms as settlers scattered to escape the rule of the clergy. People are ready to run in wild into the woods again and to be as heathenish as ever, warned Increase Mather. Expansions could be often in the same sermon held up as the cause of and the solution to the difficulties of establishing Christian communities. Either way, Native Americans had to get out of the way. They could die. They waste, they molder away, they disappear, said one Puritan chronicler of indigenous people who had succumbed to European pestilence years before the arrival of the Mayflower in 1620, thus clearing the earth for the establishment of the Massachusetts Bay Colony. God made way for his people by removing the heathen and planting them in the ground, said another observer. They could be murdered. The holy terror unleashed by the Puritans was, according to the historian Bernard Balin, driven by fears of what could happen to civilized people in an unimaginable wilderness and fears of racial conflicts in which God's children were fated to struggle with pitiless agents of Satan, pagan antichrists swarming in the world around them. Survivors could be enslaved. The first patent granted in colonial America in 1626 was to a Virginia merchant and planter, William Claiborne, for inventing a device that would not just restrain Indians, but also make them work. Claiborne was given an Indian to experiment on for the trial of his invention Colonial records do not say what this innovation might have been, only noting that it was not successful. Or they could be pushed further and further west. The prodigious and relentless population, complained New Orleans Spanish governor in 1794, progressively drives the Indian nations before them and upon us, seeking to possess for itself this vast continent which the Indians occupy between the Ohio and Mississippi rivers, the Gulf of Mexico, and the Appalachian Mountains. More than a century and a half later, writing in the early 1950s, the Mexican author and diplomat Octavio Paz made much the same point. America was, he writes, if anything, geography, pure space, open to human action. 
since it lacked historical substance, ancient social classes, established institutions, religions, and hereditary laws, reality presented no obstacles other than natural ones. Men struggled not against history, but against nature. And wherever there was an, an historical obstacle, indigenous societies say, it was simply erased from history, reduced to a mere natural fact and dispensed with accordingly. Evil is outside, part of the natural world, like Indians, rivers, mountains, and other obstacles that must be domesticated or destroyed. End of quote. The American Revolution is a permanent revolution, Paz went on, a nonstop expulsion of, quote, all elements foreign to the American essence and a constant invention of itself. And anything that stands in the way of that invention, anything that is in any way irreducible or inassimilable, to perpetual creation, be it Native American, Spanish America, or history itself, quote, is not American. Quote, in other places, the future is one of man's attributes, because we are men, we have a future. In Saxon America, the process is inverted, and the future determines the man. We are men because we are the future, and everything that has no future is not a man. The United States, Paz said, offers no room for contradictions, ambiguity, or conflict. The nation flies forward swiftly, as if weightless across the land. Trying to stop North Americans moving west, Stephen Austin, the founder of Texas, said over a century earlier, was like trying to stop the Mississippi with a dam of straw. The drive west waxed and waned and burst forward with great passion during key moments. The book, The Edge of the Myth, by Greg Grandin. Does your current office chair support you? I mean, if you're lucky, maybe it goes up and down, but can you sit in it for hours before it becomes uncomfortable? You know, I, I broke my back skydiving back when I was 20 years old, and finding a good chair has been a lifelong struggle. The X chair has this dynamic variable lumbar support. They call it DVL. The X chair's DVL was designed to adjust to you, and every other part of the chair can be custom adjusted to fit you. That's why the X chair is equally supportive, whether you're 5'2 and 110 or 6'4 and 250. And now with the introduction of the X basic model, there's an X chair for every body type and every budget. Take advantage of X-Chair's new financing option and pay as little as 30 bucks a month. Take your comfort and productivity to the next level for less than the cost of a daily cup of coffee. X-Chair's on sale now for $100 off. Just go to xchairtom.com or call 1-844-4X-Chair. X-Chair comes with a 30-day, no questions asked guarantee of complete satisfaction. Go to xchairtom.com now and use the code XWHEELS and you'll receive a free set of the new X-Wheels with your chair. xchairtom.com. We are talking about the Bill Barr letter. Not because the Mueller investigation is the most important thing going on. In fact, I think its importance has been overstated. I think we have overstated the likelihood, and by we I mean the overall discussion. I have tried to cut against that at least a little bit. I think we've overstated the likelihood that it was going to meaningfully disrupt this presidency. And I think even if it had disrupted this presidency, I think we would be overstating the importance that that would have in figuring out how we can, in fact, do the big three that I care about, which is save democracy, save the middle class, and save the planet. Let's go to your calls. You've been waiting patiently, and thank you so much for doing so. Mark from San Diego wins the Most Patient Listener Award this hour. Go ahead, Mark. <laughs> Not a problem. I'm enjoying the show, listening to it. Uh, boy, they have, this thing stinks to high heaven. They have shaped the uh, narrative for sure with the help of some lazy, lazy journalists. I mean, the, 
You wake up to the headlines today, and the New York Times says a big cloud has been lifted over the Trump presidency. Why? Because uh, the guy he appointed uh, said so? I, I just get so tired of this lazy, lazy journalism. It just plays right into the hands of Trump, who's able to shape the narrative. And one thing I haven't heard anybody bring up is, uh, why, did the, why did Michael Flynn get such a sweetheart deal if his, uh, if his uh, testimony wasn't going to amount to anything? Uh, I don't get The whole thing doesn't make any sense to me. The, the Michael Flynn thing is interesting because to me, like that was, as I understand what happened with Michael Flynn, is he got paid to change foreign policy. He got paid to do something in, for a foreign government that was opposed to what our government had said was in our best interest. That seems really close to how I would define treason, unless one thinks that treason is something that only happens in U.S. wartime, but it was related to military conflict. It is surprising. I am also befuddled by the Flynn thing. I don't know what to make of it. Even the, even the judge in his case uh, said that, uh, are you sure you don't want to bring this guy up on treason? Uh, I mean, how could you spend two years interviewing all these witnesses? I mean, the, uh, like Bill Maher says, I don't need to see the Mueller report. I have a TV. <laughs> you know, I mean, you can see the obstruction in plain view. Yeah. You know, how could there be no obstruction? I mean, it's just I, I don't think they're going to get away with it. The American people are, are I, I think that, you know, it was a good try. And, and they've and they've done well shaping the narrative because, you know, you know how lazy Americans are. They're going to see the headline and, and assume that the Mueller report is out when their Mueller report is not out. But they, they, they're they able to shape the narrative, but I think that's going to last for about a week or so. And I don't, I don't, I just don't think they're going to put, uh, keep the, uh, keep the lid on this, uh, boiling pot. I really don't think so. I think it's going to come out. So, and so thank God the Democrats have control of Congress because I, I think, I think that's where it's going to come out in, in the democratically controlled Congress. And Mark, thank you so much for, for calling. And yeah, my, uh, and when you say keep the lid on the boiling pot, to me, it depends on what the boiling pot is. If the boiling pot is a, is about a certain set of facts with respect to a certain number of people with respect to the Trump administration, Donald Trump himself, that's one question. If it is the boiling pot of democracy being subverted generally, and specifically, that is the pot that I hope will boil and boil further. And that for those who think this whole thing has been a big distraction, that to me is what it is either a distraction from or a spotlight on. And that's where I hope the energy will be. I have more thoughts about that. I'll offer those thoughts a little bit later in the show. Uh, but thank you so much for calling, Mark. Uh, Corky, Rochester, New York. Go ahead. Yeah, it's a criminal organization. How are you going to bring it down unless you, you start acting the way they act? I mean, this is John Gotti on steroids. You know, Teflon's on. Nothing sticks. The, I mean, I, I have said to me it's... it's uh, We'll see. We'll see what sticks. I, I think that there are I mean, there are investigations about the Trump apparatus, the Trump administration, or the Trump family, uh, businesses, etc. Uh, and and there are those who think the indictments will come after he leaves the White House because that the Trump administration's Department of Justice will shield Donald Trump. Uh, I wanted to, I wanted to say something about Mark's uh, Mark's call as well. That that I do. I haven't yet constructed all of the rhetorical architecture for what I'm about to say, but I'll offer it here in a somewhat nascent state. And that is, it's not that I think that Mueller was there to protect the president. That's not what I think. I think Bill Barr, that's a different matter. But that's not my feeling about Robert Mueller. And it's, 
And I also think about the New York Times. New York Times, who, as one of our callers just said, seems to be so quick to adopting the narrative, at least their headline writers, and saying, oh, lifts a cloud over the, over the, the Trump administration. I do think not having Mueller investigate further, not having him call more witnesses, it's now very clear that Bob Mueller will not interview Donald Trump. Donald Trump won't have to be there under oath answering questions. I guess that does lift a big cloud. So I don't want to, uh, I don't want to uh, overstate my critique. But let's be clear, if it weren't for the New York Times, Donald Trump wouldn't be president. If it weren't for the FBI, uh, Donald Trump wouldn't be president. Hillary Clinton would be president. And I suspect Democrats would have lost a bunch of seats in Congress because that's probably what would happen. But, the, but there is this sense, and, and I even go back to Al Gore quickly, uh, uh, quickly standing down and not challenging the, the Supreme Court ruling in, uh, with respect to Florida, with respect to his election and, and George W. Bush's election. And that is there are people in power who are believing in institutions and believing in the power structure. Uh, Ken Starr is a little different. Ken Starr was an activist. Ken Starr used the position he had to try to take down a president. Ended up going from an investigation on a land deal to an investigation around an extramarital affair. And went, not only where the evidence would lead, where the evidence might lead to other evidence that might lead to something else that might lead to something that would be embarrassing for the president and might take down the president. That's what he viewed as his duty and opportunity. Robert Mueller, this occurred to me when we were talking to Ro Khanna, Robert Mueller, under an independent counsel statute, might have been the ideal person. If he had had the power to decide indictment, if he had been truly independent and totally shielded from the president's appointed attorney general, Mueller might have been the guy. And oddly, Ken Starr might be the kind of person you'd want if you were in a special counsel, because you'd have to get through all those other filters. But instead what we had was Ken Starr, who went further than anyone would anticipate, and Mueller, who left it up to the Trump administration about whether or not they wanted to indict the Trump administration. That's sort of surprising. But to me, the big thing, I hope the big takeaway that I haven't yet constructed all the words for, is this idea that institutions, the infrastructure, the apparatus, the power structure, will in fact police itself sufficiently. And I don't think that's what's happening. I think that there are people who, uh, and, and I think more of them are in high ranks, uh, who are Democrats than Republicans, frankly, who are trusting the institutions, who think the institutions are themselves the thing that will be our salvation, not recognizing that movements will have to resolve some of these questions. The institutions are not there to protect us from climate change. The institution, there's not an institution that can do that yet. Institutions are not right now protecting democracy itself. In fact, institutions are being used to subvert it. Institutions are not there right now to protect the middle class, to keep us from having the biggest wealth disparities we've had in 100 years. In fact, institutions are being used to exacerbate that. That we can't merely rely, this is not the 1970s, this is not the post-World War II era, this is not the time after we just defeated the Nazis and we are together and recognizing that we have to fight fascism and at least we are united around that. It's a different time. And we have to approach our media differently. I will step off my soapbox in order to listen to Denny. Go ahead. Denny from Pine Top. Uh, hi, Jefferson. Good stuff. Uh, I love your clear, factual, uh, concise delivery. Uh, uh, nice break from Tom as well. Um, listen, I went from very blue Flint to bright red Arizona. 
briefly, uh, uh, 30% disabled vet agent, orange uh, army uh, paratrooper. Look, okay, filters, deflection, fake news, uh, deflection for two years at least. Uh, the old story, uh, fake news is better than no news. Uh, media domination of the uh, news cycle. Uh, I mean, this is as good as an online law school. Uh, it makes a uh, the average guy out here, modern day uh, soap opera. I mean, the average guy. You know, we're trying to keep a job, raise a family, and and it's a very good the news cycle. Good bottom line for the Murdochs and 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 the news uh, uh, organizations out there. And, and I and they're it's almost their goal to perpetuate this. I mean, which. Uh, is proportionally also very good for free speech TV and others. And all this falls eventually, uh, partially, on the steps of the FCC. And the puzzle is, how do we manage the right to free speech? Here's my question. Whatever happened to, whatever happened to Michael Ananati, a- Avenatti, he claimed he could get Trump under oath uh, easily uh, get uh, him perjured on tape, and uh, uh, then follows obstruction uh, uh, and, and follows intimidation. And and uh, the of course the Senate will fail to indict on on an, on this call for impeachment. But at least we didn't waste two years, and in 2020 we can get we have a great chance to get to the White House. Your thought. Well, Michael Avenatti just got arrested for an attempted, uh, alleged uh, extortion attempt against Nike. We may talk more about that. I do have some thoughts about Avenatti. Ziggy from Cooperstown, New York. Are you a member of the Hall of Fame or only a frequent visitor? Only a frequent visitor. All right. What's on your mind? Um, I want to talk about the obstruction. I think that um, Trump's tweets about Mueller were obstruction of justice. Therefore, Mueller may have determined that he couldn't be an independent arbitrator and essentially recuse himself. So you're, uh, let, me, let me make sure I'm understanding your argument. Because, uh, because Donald Trump threatened Mueller, that yeah. Mueller said, I am now compromised. And therefore, if yeah. I were to make the final determination on this, people would think it was because I was compromised, either because I was scared of indicting him or because I was engaging in backlash for indicting him. And therefore, somebody else needs to make this decision. And therefore, by saying, hey, somebody else pick, that was, that was why you say that was tantamount to recusal. That's right. That's why you're the attorney. So I, it's an interesting, it's an interesting argument, an interesting take. I hadn't thought of it that way. Uh, here is, and, and and that could be either explicitly, uh, either explicitly or at least implicitly why he did that. It's like, oh well, geez, I am so the, I am so the subject of of discussion that there is that somebody else has got to weigh in. We need the challenge is there was no one else. And, and one of the reasons I wish that Mueller hadn't been so, uh, so close-lipped with the media in some respects yeah. 
Is that, no matter is, how much you want to make a, uh, not you, but people want to make a Mueller into a robot, he's still a human being. Right. And I'm, you know, if he had been doing that stuff to me, I would take it a little personally. I don't know about you. <laughs> sure, sure. And, the, and then the question is, well, what does he do about it? Because by lead, like leaving it up to the person that Trump handpicked to make the decision, Trump didn't make that decision because Trump's primary objective is, well, if I'm guilty, I ought to go to jail. That's not a, Trump's not thinking about it, like, well, I just want someone fair. I just want someone yeah. who will really evaluate the facts and the law and do what's right. That's not how Trump's picking that person. That's not how he picked Whitaker. That's not why he was mad at Sessions. And that's not why he picked bars. Ah, oh, well, let's go where the facts lead. That's not what the interview was about. That's not how he was vetting this guy. That's not why he picked the guy that got the bushes off. Right. I agree with you 100%. Mm. And Jefferson, I always like it when you're on filling in for Tom. Thank you. Hey, Zig, I appreciate it. Appreciate you listening. We always like it when you listen. Okay, bye-bye. Take care. I, I want to talk to Mark, who's listening on xray.fm. Home station. Thanks, Mark. Go ahead. Hey, you're welcome. Hey, um, your last uh, two or three callers, I think, have been hitting the nail on the head. And, and I think the real conspiracy... I want to talk about a paradox next, but the real conspiracy seems to be between the Trump administration and the media. That's where I think the conspiracy is building this thing up. They're going to they're they're take us to break. They're, Mark, they're going to take us to break in just a second. But let me say that I think what you just said, if we were going to offer hypotheses, and I want to offer hypotheses, not conclusions. We should only, only base conclusions upon facts. But in order to explore, we can offer hypotheses. I think your hypothesis of the Trump's uh, connection to the media. I think that's one of the most important things. And we already know what happened with the Enquirer. At least we know some of it. We already know what's happened with some reporters. We already know that they're looked to be compromised among some reporters. And by the way, some of them no longer have jobs. I think this is one of the biggest undertold stories. And who are we relying upon to tell us those stories? This is Tom Hartman Show. I'm Jeff. If you're like me, then safeguarding your money through market downturns is a clear priority. And frankly, we've seen enough market volatility to make any investor nervous. For people like us who think outside the box and read between the lines, it's becoming even more clear that the insider secret of accumulating physical gold is becoming a lot less of a secret and more of a trend. According to the World Gold Council, in 2018 alone, central bank gold purchases increased by over 74%. The bottom line is that we are starting to see the cracks forming in our economy. And the faster you take action, the better your opportunity. There's only one company I personally recommend in this industry, and that's the expert strategists at ITM Trading. They specialize in wealth protection and opportunity positioning. Both, as you know, are imperative in our current economic climate. Call my friends at ITM Trading at one own gold Ask for their free gold protection guide and hedge your bets like the top 1% do. Call one own gold That's 1-888-O-W-N-G-O-L-D. one own gold Our book today for the Tom Hartman Book Club is The Age of Eisenhower, America and the World of the 1950s by William I. Hitchcock. This is from chapter 19, page 475, about three quarters of the way through the book. Republicans of the 1950s knew how to sell a product. They pioneered the use of television advertising in politics, and at their national conventions in 1952 and 1956, they mobilized actors, dancers, acrobats, sports figures, crooners, jugglers, and sword swallowers to infuse their rather dull message of peace and prosperity with some pizzazz. 
In middle 1960, mid-July 1960, though, as the GOP faithful gathered in Chicago at the International Amphitheater, the same hall in which Ike and Dick had formed their political tandem eight years earlier, the convention planners were running out of ideas. A giant elephant named Koa, on loan from Louisiana, proved to be too big to amble down the aisles of the hall and had to be returned. The torchlight parade of 500 young Republicans had to be canceled due to the fire hazard of their kerosene-soaked rags. Plans to get Henry Fonda into costume as Abraham Lincoln, a role he had played woodenly in the 1939 film Young Mr. Lincoln, were scotched when Fonda turned out to be a Democrat. Half the hotel rooms in Chicago remained empty a few days before the convention. Besides an absence of hoopla, the top Republican leaders had serious worries. A Gallup poll on the eve of the convention showed that since 1952, the Republicans had lost support among business and professional voters, white-collar workers, and farmers, three key demographic groups. And they had made no inroads among skilled and unskilled laborers who favored the Democratic Party by a ratio of four to one. President Eisenhower's personal popularity had masked serious weaknesses in the Republican Party. As the Republicans gathered in Chicago, John Kennedy, a junior senator with little international name recognition, led Nixon in the polls by four points. And uh, I should add, Nixon was the vice president, uh, Eisenhower. The press corps, bored to tears by the lack of drama in Republican ranks, worked hard to breathe life into the candidacies of New York Governor Nelson Rockefeller and Arizona Senator Barry Goldwater, who might, they earnestly hope, challenge Nixon for the GOP nomination from the left and the right. The Washington Post editorial page noted that both parties inclined toward moderate nominees like Kennedy, Lyndon Johnson, and Nixon, but cautioned that, quote, an excess of moderation can yield a pudding devoid of flavor or shape, end quote, and hoped Goldwater would add a dash of, quote, pepper to the otherwise bland old party's Chicago solemnities, end quote. Indeed, old guard supporters of the dear departed Bob Taft now had a new champion in the ruggedly handsome conservative from the desert west. It was not to be. Goldwater did not seek the nomination and backed Nixon. Rockefeller, whom most veteran Republicans distrusted for his ideological elasticity and his vanity, pressured Nixon to adopt a number of Kennedy-like platform planks on issues such as defense spending, civil rights, health insurance, and housing. Nixon, terrified that a Rockefeller boomlet might snatch away his long-sought prize, caved into these demands before meeting with Rocky in New York on July 22nd three days before the convention opened. Rockefeller, in turn, threw his support to Nixon in a feeble gesture of party unity. In extracting concessions from Nixon on the GOP platform, though, Rockefeller managed to weaken Nixon's case that he and he alone had the toughness to confront Khrushchev on the world stage. The real challenge Nixon faced in taking the leadership of the Republican Party did not come from Goldwater or Rockefeller. It came from Eisenhower. Of course, Ike supported Nixon's presidential bid since Nixon offered the best hope of extending the Eisenhower legacy. But the distance between those two men, which had always been great, never seemed wider than in 1960. Eisenhower had become the world's most respected, most recognized, and most liked man. For all of his apparent political weaknesses and occasional lapses in his mishandling of the U-2 affair, he occupied an unassailable place in the pantheon of great figures of his time. His war service alone would have placed him on history's pedestal, but he followed that with eight years of dignified leadership of a country whose global power had reached unprecedented dimensions. When Eisenhower arrived in Chicago on July 26 to address the Republican convention, over one million Chicagoans lined the streets along his route to the Sheraton Blackstone Hotel. 
Shouts of joy rang through the miles of well-wishers. We like Ike signs dotted the scene along with hand-painted expressions of thanks to the old warrior. Confetti so dense that it stuck to Ike's moist and beaming face poured from the rooftops. Banners and flags draped every storefront and lampposts in a blaze of red, white, and blue. It was Ike the crowd wanted. A loudspeaker in a truck following the motorcade blared out a popular tune by the Four Knights. I love the sunshine of your smile. The president, visibly moved, told reporters outside the hotel, it's one of the finest crowds I've ever seen. On Tuesday evening, Senator Dirksen, a famously orotund speaker in a profession known for producing magnificent windbags, came to the podium in the amphitheater to introduce the president. Few recalled that eight years earlier, Dirksen had nominated Senator Taft. Anyhow, the book is The Age of Eisenhower by Hitchcock. We're going to do a quick speed round here on the Tom Hartman Show in the Big Big Finish. I'm Jeff Smith on the Big Big Show. Marta, you are making the case off the air that health care should not be watered down, that we need single payer, we need health care for all. Finish your point quickly. We're in speed round. Well, we absolutely can do it. And the naysayers that say we can't, they ignore the fact that other countries spend 12% of their GDP. We spend 19% of our GDP. We spend twice per capita and get half of the health care outcomes than other countries. So not only can we afford it, but we can't afford not to do it. And Obamacare is still the number one cause of personal bankruptcy. People cannot afford the $1,500 deductibles, plus their premiums, plus their co-pays. They have children you know, to feed. Yeah. They have rent to pay. So we need to have single-payer Medicare for all. The nurses are on the front lines. They have been for decades. Many, many doctors are in favor for this. And the current system has extremely high levels of administrative costs. Medicare reduces that. We need to strengthen Medicare. It would cover dental vision and hearing, which Medicare uh, currently does not do. It would be comprehensive. And I would, I could go on, but I know you I, have I could tell, I, I, could, I could tell you could go on and appreciate your passion about it. Thank you so much, Marta. Frank, listening on TuneIn from Dallas, Texas. We're in speed round. Well, thanks so much for taking my call, man. I really appreciate it. I love the Tom Hartman show. I learn something every time I listen. So Me too. Thank you, guys. Now, um, I'm just going to make this real quick. I have two nicknames, one for William Barr and one for Trump. I'll get to that in a moment. But um, William Barr is only doing what Trump put him in there to do, and he protected him. And this guy is good because he's been – he has protected conspiracies before. So for me, you know – uh, if you remember Underdog, for William Barr, I called him w William Barr Sinister. And Trump, clockwork orange. Think about it. All right. I appreciate it. Carol from Pennsylvania. This is Hi. America. Go ahead. Hi. Great show. When I hear people say this is not who we are, meaning that we are not part of the corruption and the amoral policy of the Trump administration, it troubles me, because if this is not who we are, why are we allowing ourselves to be governed by people who are not what we are? We are being governed by people who clearly are not who we are. Well, I, I mean, I, Trump is nothing like me. I yeah. can't stand the man. I don't think we're doing enough. I think it's time to hit the streets. 
So they need to ratchet up the response. I think that that, not only saying that other people should do that, but finding ways that we ourselves can do that. Yeah. And, and Carol, really appreciate your call. And I'll, and I'll attempt to answer the question as I heard you ask it, even though we're in speed round, but we'll get to the others quickly. Part of it is, I think it is part of who we are. And I don't just mean it's part of who some of us are. I think that all of us, some worse than others, I certainly do, we have our own darkness. If we only think that our sin is born within the White House, we don't understand our national sin, historically and in present day. And we don't understand the sin within ourselves. So that's part of it. But rather than just having that be the only answer, I also think it is because of the mechanisms by which we govern ourselves. I do think it's because of voter suppression. I do think it's because of purchase elections. I do think it's because of unlimited secret money. I do think it's because of ownership of the media. I do think it's because manipulation of votes and manipulation of democracy has a hard time doing its job. But I think it's both things, and we can't avoid either of them. Ross, we're in speed round. You want to talk about the importance of the Constitution? Yes, Mr. Hartman program is really from the heart. So I honor him. And Mr. Smith, you're doing an excellent presentation of that program. Thanks, Ross. And our Constitution has seven articles and 27 amendments. The first three, Article 1, is the Congress. Article 2 is the Executive. And Article 3 is the Judicial. And I feel what Frederick Douglass started we have to continue to apply our constitution to our reality and we are in a 400 year commemoration of the first arrival of africans in america which in itself you got about 15 seconds to make the key point you want to make sure we get to i'm appreciating what you're saying beautiful hr 1242 public law 115-102 signed into law by the honorable donald trump which commemorate 400 years of Africans' arrival under British colonial slavery. So that's what we need to fight against. The 400 years should at least bring the Africans in equality because it's all America. Thank you again. Amen, Ross. Appreciate your call. Appreciate you listening. Appreciate what you had to say. Ivan, you got 10 words if you can use them. Otherwise, we'll need to talk tomorrow. Okay. Uh, the Mueller investigation discovered lots of illegal activities in the Trump campaign and the inauguration committee by Manfred Flynn and others. But the conclusion seems to be that Trump was just Sergeant Schultz of Hogan's Heroes. Yep, that's what they say. That's actually the perfect segue to our close. There is a debate within punditry, within activism, about whether we should focus on Trump corruption or whether we should focus on the issues that are impacting people's lives. I believe in the genius of Anne, not just a tyranny of war. I believe we can walk and chew gum at the same time. And ultimately what we have to do is root out big scale corruption so that we can get to what's impacting people's lives. You're the coalition, the benevolently irrational, the good people doing good things for no good reason. And without you, democracy can't function. With you, we got a chance. I've been honored to be with you. I'll be with you again tomorrow. I'm Jeff. This is the Tom Hartman Show. We love you. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.